the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to this 820 AM The Word broadcast special, Heart of the City. Pastors, ministry leaders, and churches have received a call to serve their communities with the love and compassion of Christ. The call is from God's heart to the heart of the city. Well, this is Heart of the City. I'm Chuck Olmstead, the Director of Local Ministry Development for 820 AM The Word. The key verse for this program and for my life is trust in the Lord and do good, dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. We look at the faithfulness of God and see how good he is in all of our lives. And I enjoy this program because I get to hear stories of people who have uh, experienced the life-changing work of Jesus Christ and also hear the stories of how God has been faithful to them throughout their lives. And with me today is a special guest. His name is Dale Stetson. And Dale and I have known each other for uh, several years now. And Dale, I want to welcome you to Heart of the City. Thanks, Jack. Appreciate it. Well, I put you on the spot today. You walked in. We were going to go have dim sum here in the International District. And, I, and you walked in and I said, uh, how would you like to record a program with me? And uh, uh, knowing that uh, you are ready to share, uh, I didn't think that was going to be a problem. So we just walked right into the studio, and and I just wanted to uh, have you share your story with our listeners today because uh, I think it's important for them to hear all about you and what the Lord is doing in your life. So as with all the stories that we have, I'd love to start at the beginning, and that is... Where were you born, and where did you live when you were a youngster? Well, many years ago, uh, uh, a famous comedian said I started out as a child. <laughs> a very young child. Yeah, exactly. as a young child. And <laughs> actually, I was born in, in eastern Washington, Ellensburg. Okay. Spent the first five years of my life on a farm. My dad was a farmer. And uh, because of back problems and certain health issues, my dad could no longer continue farming. So we moved over to the west side, or the coast as they call it, over on the east side. We moved to the coast, and my dad got work here in the Seattle area. Uh-huh. And uh, that's so kind where, of where we where's, started. So you, were you in Seattle proper, or were you in uh, one Yeah, we, I grew up in the Rainier Valley. Okay. Uh, uh, moved later on out towards Burien, but uh, my childhood years were about a mile south of the Stan Sayers Pits and yeah. was a typical Seattle kid, Columbia City, the uh-huh. whole nine yards. Well, you've seen obviously a lot of lots of change. You're, you're still a young man, right? But uh, you, you've seen a lot of change since those early days. I Yeah, the uh, Seattle area has changed quite a bit in these <laughs> days, but uh, it's always interesting to see how Seattle does change. Yeah. A lot of it is for the good. Some of it, I'm not so sure about. So what was the f- family life like? What was, your, what was your spiritual formation back then? Were your parents believers? Did the, the family have any kind of uh, spiritual walk at all? My family was uh, churchgoers. I would class them as churchgoers. My parents were wanted us to go to church. The type of work my dad did, he had to work a lot of Sundays. 
So uh, he didn't attend church a whole lot with us, but my mom made sure that we got to Sunday school and that we attended church. When we first got to Seattle, we uh, joined a small Lutheran congregation down in the down in the valley, down in the Rainier Valley, called Bethlehem Lutheran Church. Uh-huh. And that's where I did my growing up and went through the whole process as a, as a Lutheran. We didn't have a real Lutheran background, but it was a church that was closed. Right. So yeah. So. Uh, it, you, you, when I ask about your spiritual formation, you say you went to church, but what was the family like? Was it uh, was there much emphasis on the was or was church just something that was uh, supposed to be part of your life, and then you did whatever else you're supposed to do the rest of the time? I think that that was that's a good way to describe <laughs> it. It was church was on Sundays, and the rest of the week was you know be good and do your job and. You know, there was a work ethic. It was, you know, we're talking about the late 50s, early 60s. Uh-huh. You know, so that we were not an atypical family, I right. think, for that time period. Right. You're just a good moral person. Do your work hard. Mm-hmm. Be be kind. And somehow everything will be okay. Exactly. So high school sports, were you a, were you a jock? Were you a, uh, or what were you <laughs> in high school? A music well, kid? In in the ninth grade, we moved from Seattle out to Highline School District. So um, we worked in just north of the airport, basically. And uh, at that point, I had the opportunity that a lot of ninth grade kids would love to have is to remake your life. Uh-huh. And so uh, as, a, uh, as a ninth grader in junior high, I, I decided, okay, I'm going to go out for sports. So I went out for football and ended up being the third sport string bench warmer. <laughs> I think I was the only guy ever injured while sitting on the bench. I see. You know, uh-huh. that sort of thing. Splinters. Yeah, right. splinters. And yeah, well, I actually got knocked over. The guy, a <laughs> running back, ran over the top of the bench and I got knocked over and sprained a finger. Uh, uh, and then uh, then I tried a track after that then if, in the spring and uh, that didn't turn out very well. But I made a lot of friends uh, in, the, uh, with, in the jock realm doing uh-huh. that. So that, uh-huh. was, that wasn't bad. So by the time I got to high school, um, I had been involved in music and uh, vocal and instrumental. I started specializing more into vocal music. So uh-huh. I was in choir and, and uh, vocal ensemble, got involved in drama and uh, continued to do that through my high school years. So I would call myself a arts major. Got it. In, in high school. So this was the late 60s, early 70s. Correct, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so obviously the, the culture's changing at that time. The scene in Seattle is pretty vibrant as far as the music scene and what was going on uh, within the whole culture. Were you involved with all of that, or was it just kind of you were living your life as a high school kid? Well, as I, I think, you know, all kids back then who played guitar wanted to be rock stars. So, you know, with, I was involved with several bands during the time and and uh, did, a, did, did some things, but never anything really great. Uh, I think my the highest thing I did was probably in school versus outside of school. Yeah. But it was a lot of fun. It, it was uh, but it was a changing culture. It was really a different different place to be. And your walk with the Lord at that time? Hot, cold, or just still kind of cruising along going to church? You know, it was up and down, really. Um, I had some good friends that uh, went to a church locally that had a really great high school youth group. I got involved with um, with uh, student uh, ministries, uh, young, uh, not campus, campus life. Right. 
uh, at the time. Uh, so I was in, in and out. I guess I described myself this way. I was kind of a chameleon hmm. because I could, uh, you know, go out in the back parking lot and talk to the guys smoking cigarettes, and I could go to church and, and uh, be part of a, a singing group at church. And so I, I classed myself as chameleon at that point in oh, my I life. I see. Yeah, yeah. So what happens next after high school? After high school, I uh, joined the Air Force and uh, started my active duty career down at Lackland Air Force Base, like everybody in the Air Force. And my first duty assignment was Clark Air Base in the Philippines, which was a very interesting experience from a kid that lived in the States to going to a, uh, to a new country. Mm-hmm. And uh, at that time, of course, the Philippines was under, under martial law. So it was the Marcos regime. Very different place, but uh, very interesting. And then I got there. I got involved with um, uh, with the chapel on base. We actually were the backup band for the youth choir, so we toured with the youth choir. And and I attended an off base church uh-huh. that was uh, had a Filipino congregation and then also an American military congregation. Yeah, and it was quite an experience. Really, I uh, really enjoyed that time. And I, I was serving as a medic, so. It was kind of a, a real different world. Yeah. So how did the church function d- during uh, martial law? What was life like? Of course, you were on base, so you weren't affected necessarily by that. But as far as if you were in an off-base church, you saw how people had to navigate through all that. What was that like? Well, it was pretty late into the martial law uh, regime with uh, the Marcos uh, government, Um the, the main restrictions were that you couldn't be out on the streets between midnight and 6 o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. So it didn't impact a whole lot. Um, there, of course, were a lot of armed guards and a lot of security, and it was not uncommon to step on a bus and have Filipino military police on, on the bus with, with automatic weapons. And mm-hmm. So you got used to that kind of an environment. Yeah. But actually, the country at that time was quite secure, mm-hmm. so we were able to travel quite easily. Mm-hmm. Um, and there wasn't a anti-American mindset at that time? No, there wasn't. There was some communist movements. Um, and, of course, in the south, in Mindanao, there was a, uh, a Muslim separatist movement, which a mm-hmm. lot of people don't even realize was happening back then and mm. right. is still happening today. Right, right. So you're in the Air Force, you're in the Philippines, you're a young man, and uh, you're part of a, a worship group. Um, so uh, what happens next? Where do you go from there? From there, uh, I finished my tour in uh, the Philippines, and I went into a job called Independent Duty, where I was a medic on a radar site. And I came back stateside. I was actually on a radar site just south of Tillamook, between Tillamook and Lincoln City on the Oregon coast. Rough duty, huh? Uh, beautiful area to be. <laughs> beautiful area. If you're going to have to do remote duty, that was a good place yeah, to do it, you know? No kidding. Uh, but later on, I uh, became what they called a circuit rider, so I was doing manning assistance, so I was going all on, up and down the Washington, Oregon, uh, Northern California coast, uh, helping at radar sites that had uh, manning issues. So uh-huh. I'd uh, fill in while medics were gone from their, I see. From their sites. Yeah. So uh, during that time, uh, did you uh, meet anybody uh, that you became interested in as far as, uh, you know, uh, a girlfriend or? No, you know, when you're remote, first of all, that's an interesting situation <laughs> there. But no, no, I, you know, I, I, I met people, but nothing really that yeah. was serious or stuck. Um, when I was getting close to the end of my uh, my four years active duty, I 
was actually stationed up at Blaine. There was a radar site up on, on uh, Birch Bay mm-hmm. at the time. Mm-hmm. And I was driving home from Birch Bay because my parents still lived in the Seattle area. And uh, I was just saying, wow, what am I going to do with my life? I'm getting ready to get out of the Air Force. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm old now. You know, I, I want to go back to school. I've got GI Bill, all of these things. And, and as I'm driving southbound on I-5, about 145th, um, a place that I had been to when I was in the high school group called Lutheran Bible Institute popped into my mind. Hmm. And so I took the 130th exit, went over to the old campus of LBI, and talked to the people at LBI. And at that point in time, they had a youth, uh, a youth ministry program, and I thought, hey, this sounds like something that I would be interested in. So uh, that's where I ended up after I got out of the Air Force. I went, with Lutheran Bible Institute. Yeah, Lutheran Bible Institute. It was I, up on Greenwood and 130th. Had no idea. Yeah. 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 So you uh, you got a degree from there, or what was the what was the drill there? I uh, never finished my degree there. Uh, uh-huh. I, I spent a year there. I met my future wife there. Okay. Um, and then I uh, ended up on an impact team the next year with LBI, and we toured throughout the United States, basically doing ministry in churches. Uh-huh. And uh, after that, I was looking towards marriage, and I decided to get a job and got to work and yeah and uh then uh eventually I got married yeah and uh so went on from there your spiritual walk at that time i mean you're involved with church things was were you were you committed in your life to the lord or what was your what was your spiritual walk that's a good question chuck because the way i always have described myself for that period of in my life is i had a full-time savior and a part-time lord Huh. Because uh, I, <laughs> all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Okay, that's a yeah. fact. Uh-huh. You know um, what I've learned in in the last few years is that I don't expect sinners not to sin, and I include myself in that arena. Uh huh. Um, so, and that's not to to mitigate sin in our lives because we have to deal with sin in our lives every single day. But the fact of the matter is, is that we all fall short of the goal. Yeah. And at that point in my life, I was falling short of the goal. Uh-huh. Um, I, and at times it was, I didn't care that I was falling short of the Interesting. goal. Interesting. You know? Yeah. You, <laughs> yeah. You, you can live in grace, you know? Yeah, that's right. You know, <laughs> you know my, my conscience isn't, you know, it's, it's the old joke of, you know, uh, you were going to, someone's going to make restitution you know, and so they bring somebody, you know, $500 and say, you know, I stole this from you and I'm giving you $500. And, and if I still feel bad about it, I'll give you the other $500 later. You know, it's, <laughs> it's you know, it's kind of like I'm, I'm kind of living in, in sort of grace and trying to, to live my life and navigate through it. So so what were the circumstances that brought you into a, a better understanding of what you needed to be in Christ? Well, I like to put it this way. I, I believe that God provides these wonderful holy two-by-fours sometimes that uh, you need to get hit up in the right between the eyes with. And, mm-hmm. and I've had several two-by-four experiences in my life. And mm-hmm. uh, so as, uh, as those experiences started to really uh, take hold, um, I found that um, my relationship with God started to grow. Uh-huh. That my commitment to him and my love for him started to grow, uh-huh. and that a relationship on a day-to-day basis became a reality in my life, and not so 
Um, I think Luther put it this way. He, he calls us hyphenated people, sinner saints. Um, my hyphenation started going more towards the saint than the sinner uh-huh. side. Uh-huh. And so um, it's, it's a process. You know, we, 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 in church we talk these wonderful terminologies. You know, we have uh, salvation, sanctification, glorification. Right. You know? We're all involved. If we've, if we've made a commitment to the Lord and the Lord has come into our lives, we have salvation. It's a gift. It's not anything that we do. This uh, sanctification process is a real tough process. It's as we're becoming more and more and more like Christ until he finally brings us to home or he comes again and then we will be glorified. Yeah. Well, you know, that's really the stories, as I mentioned earlier, the stories that I hear on this program in the heart of the city and as we talk with pastors and ministry leaders and others about their personal testimony it always amazes me how God is is always there, is always faithful, and is willing to help us walk through those dark areas of our life where sin is, while we're saved, yet sin has its grip on us in ways that he has to somehow help walk us through these things so that he, we can be more like Jesus and be sanctified and and he's willing to do that. He's willing to to walk through those seasons of our lives. I think one of the things that I have learned, Chuck, is the fact that sanctification is not a goal. It's a process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. And that's really what we're involved in as Christians. Yeah. So throughout all this, then, you know, where I know you in my frame of reference is that you got involved in after your retirement from military— then uh, you've stepped into more of a full-time role as far as vocational ministry, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk to us about that. Well, I uh, spent a lot, a lot of years in business between that time right. frame and, uh, and served in the reserves for quite a few years. Actually, total service was 25 years. Mm-hmm. Um, I spent uh, quite a few years in uh, business here in the Seattle area. And then uh, after... Uh, some situations in our lives, my wife and I, actually my second wife, because part of my story is that my first marriage failed, um, we received a call from God to join Family Life as an organization, and I've spent the last uh, last six years in full-time ministry with them, and uh, about eight, close to nine years total, there's a process you go to. Uh, family life is part of crew, and there's a process you go to as a missionary mm-hmm. to become part of that organization. And for some of our listeners that don't know, crew is formerly Campus Crusade for Christ. That is correct. Right, Bill Bright. Correct. And so now called crew, and you were a part of that. And of course, Family Life today airs on uh, KGNW every Monday through Friday at seven thirty in the morning. So. That was part of your pro- – so what were you doing specifically with uh, with Family Life? Well, I actually had several jobs during it. <laughs> when we first started out, Chuck, I was act, act, working in the Seattle area as a ministry catalyst mm-hmm. as part of what Family Life at that time called the Home Builder Movement, which was to try to place uh, – people in the in in the areas that they had uh, weekends to remember to be working full-time in that area, either mm-hmm. as a volunteer or as a staff member. Mm-hmm. And then uh, as they changed the model a little bit, I became uh, 
what they called a ministry consultant. So I started working with radio stations and churches talking about their hosted events, which are like the art of marriage, stepping up, those types of things. And Mm -hmm. then finally, they made the transition and I became a ministry representative. And that's when we kind of lost track because my cities were not this city. Right. right. But I spent a lot of time down at your sister station in Portland. Right, at KPDQ and uh, good folks down there. Well, we've got about uh, four minutes left. So um, and so you've worked <clears throat> with a lot of marriage ministries and obviously weekends to remember and, and uh, a lot of the family life efforts that have taken place. What have you seen uh, in that area as far as families are concerned, especially marriage uh, ministry? How has it changed over the years and, and, and what's... Uh, what are you seeing? And, and, and you've moved into a new situation now beyond family life, and maybe you could share a little bit about that. Yeah, Chuck. Um, I think that marriage has been under attack forever. Um, the reason why, and I truly believe this, is that marriage is a picture of Christ in the church. The evil one wants to destroy the image of Christ any way that he can. And so that is one of the things that we kind of find in in everything that we do. Um, as far as what we're looking at in past family life is we personally have seen in our own family the destruction of marriage. Um, Both Donna and I have seen it in our own lives. We've seen it in our children's lives. And what we've noticed is there's a common trend in that. And there seems to be just a a lack of, of people really wanting to fight for their marriages. Hmm. Um, They want to throw in the towel a little too quickly. You know, and part of this comes out of my military. Come up, part of it comes out of my family life experience, so and ministry experience as well. So, um, where God's leading us today is to is is to look at in, encouraging couples to fight the good fight in their marriages. We want them to understand that marriage is bigger than just a, a relationship or a covenant or or anything. It is a picture of God. And so we want to call them to that higher calling of marriage, that marriage is much more serious than just a relationship or having kids. That's one. That's that's the purpose of marriage, God's purpose for marriage. So what we're looking at is devising a way of talking about per, the purpose of marriage. And the funny thing, it's based on the warrior ethos from the army, um, which is uh, is basically mission first. Well, mission doesn't play well with the civilian world very often, so we talk about purpose. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talk about uh, uh, about surrender, and that's dealing with hard issues. We need to deal with hard issues as couples and, and, and then go back to why we're doing this in the first place. What's the purpose? And then we have to go from, from heart to, uh, to our attitudes and, and, and our, our mental uh, capabilities, and that has to do with attitude. And then finally, the last one is never leaving a fallen comrade behind, which equates to grace. Mm-hmm. Uh, too many people make mistakes, things happen, and they end up just um, giving up instead of saying, uh, can, I, can we try? Can we really try? Can I extend grace? God extended grace to us. Mm-hmm. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Well, you had mentioned to me in another conversation that ethos that you were talking about that, that is, you know— uh, that uh, you don't leave anyone behind as a military person, but oftentimes in a marriage, people are all too willing to just kind of walk out and leave 
the wounded behind and left on the battlefield, aren't they? Absolutely. In the church, generally speaking, you know, um, we tend to leave our wounded on the battlefield. Mm-hmm. And we need to learn as a, as a church that the wounded, we, we will leave nobody behind. The, yeah. the, the, army, the military will do everything to recover somebody who has deceased. Mm-hmm. I've seen it. I've experienced it. And yet we will just walk away. Yeah, yeah. Well, so what are you doing now? You've moved on from family life, and so you and your bride are, are looking at uh, another season of your life. And that's where we're at now. We're looking at this season and, and developing uh, this, this new ministry idea. We're calling it In the Ring. And that's our next step. We'll see mm-hmm. where God leads. Yeah. Well, if, if you'd like to uh, reach out to Dale... Uh, you can uh, get a hold of him at d.a.stetson1954 at gmail.com. Dale, thanks for joining me today on Heart of the City. Thanks, Jack. You've been listening to this 820 AM, the word special Heart of the City. For more information on how your pastor or your ministry can be featured on A20 AM The Word, call Chuck Olmstead, 206-269-6216, or go to thewordseattle.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.